It's good to see all of you here this evening. I hope that what I have to say is edifying, but of course, most importantly, pleasing in the sight of God. Tonight, the lesson of the evening is titled Unity, and I want to talk about unity this evening, some components of unity, some things about it, and the scripture that sparked the lesson is a proclamation, or the proclamation, which is in what Clark just read for us, Psalm 133, and I'll just read verse 1, highlighting, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. And brethren, this psalm may only be three verses, but I think the proclamation made here by the psalmist is something worth listening to. So this evening, I want to speak on three things concerning unity. First, what is unity for the church? Next, what unifies? And then lastly, this evening, I want to talk about striving for unity. And this is where I want to have the main focus of the lesson. So first this evening, I want to look at what unity is or what unity is for the church. Looking at that word there, looking back at the psalm, that word unity here is referring to being in union or being joined or fit together. And we see what that looks like for the church in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And it feels like I've read this verse many, many times uh, in the lessons that I've given so far. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, and it reads, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Continuing on to verse 16, and it reads, From whom the whole body, fitly joined together, and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So brethren, we're all fit together as one body, as the church. And of course we know and understand that we all have our own roles and responsibilities as different parts and members of that body. We see this idea again in scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31, beginning in verse 27, and it reads, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. So, brethren, we all have our differences in the body, but we're all joined together as one. We are made one. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 5. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 5. Beginning in verse 3, and it reads, For I say... 
through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members of one another. So, brethren, what unity for the church is, is one body in Christ. We're all individual parts, but we're all made one in Christ. And so next I want to talk about what unifies the church, and we've already kind of gone over the answer for that question, or rather that topic, as for what unifies the church Christ. But I want to search the scripture more to see just exactly how Christ unifies us as one body. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 18, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, and it reads, And he, speaking of Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So, brethren, Christ unifies the body, the church, as the head, the head of that body. And we see this idea again in Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 23 through 24, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, beginning in verse 23, and it reads, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. And brethren, we understand that Christ has earned his position as our head because he is our savior and we are subject to him and we are unified under him. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 through 27 beginning in verse 25 and it reads, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And brethren, we're unified because Christ gave himself for us. Once again, he purchased us. He purchased us with his blood. He gave himself for us. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Acts Chapter 20, and verse 28, and it reads, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over to which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. So brethren, we're all made unified one through the blood of Christ. And we're all the children of God through Christ. Galatians chapter 5 excuse me, chapter 3, verses 23 through 29, Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29, beginning in verse 23, and it reads, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith, in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. 
There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And brethren, whenever we are unified, our backgrounds, our statuses, our differences don't matter. Because we have all been brought together as one, as the scripture says, through Christ. And we have all put on Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, beginning in verse 4, and it reads, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are all called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And brethren, we are unified by one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, all through Christ. So Christ is what unifies us. Christ is the reason that we are gathered here today. And it is his blood, his sacrifice, that allows for all of us to be one in the church, to be joined together, and to be the children of God together, to be in unity. So lastly this evening, and this is where I want to spend the most part, or the most amount of time in the lesson, I want to talk about striving for unity. Looking back in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, and it reads, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I want to ask us this evening, brethren, is this what we're striving for in the church? Are we striving for unity? And there are a lot of things that we can talk about when it comes to striving for unity. And the first thing I want to talk about this evening is who we recognize that has authority in the church. Ephesians chapter 5, looking back at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, beginning in verse 23, and it reads, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. So, brethren, we understand that Christ is what unifies us. Christ is the head of the church. And, you know, we can say that we understand that. I can say that that's true. I can say that, yes, Christ is the head of the church. But when it comes to matters of the church, what do I end up talking about? Brethren, do I end up talking about Christ and the word of God, or do I talk about what I think? When we talk about the church, when we talk about what the church is, what the church should be doing, do we talk about what Christ says, or do we talk about what we think? And what other people say, are we recognizing Christ as the head of the church? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, beginning in verse 11, and it reads, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul. And I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? 
And brethren, are we taking the word of other people when it comes to what we talk about when it comes to the church? Are we taking the word of other people over the word of God? When we talk about what should be done in the church or how things should be conducted, what's our guide for that? What do we turn to? Do we turn to tradition? You know, I've been worshiping this way for years. This is the way that my dad did it. This is the way that my dad's dad did it. Do we turn to tradition? Do we turn to evangelists? Oh, well, you know, brother so-and-so up in somewhere says that, you know, this, this is the way that things should be done. This is the right way to do things. Do we turn to biblical scholars? I mean, there is a lot of literature written on the Bible, a lot of great literature and things that we can learn from. But is that what we turn to? Do we turn to who we think are good Christians? Do we say, oh, well, you know, I know brother so-and-so up somewhere, you know, he lives so far away, and, you know, this is what he thinks about things. This is how he thinks things should be done. Do we turn to those things, or do we talk about and turn to the Word of God? Brethren, who died for us? That's a good question. Who died for us, brethren? Christ died for us. No one else did. No one else but Christ can save us. So when we speak to one another, when we talk about the church or what the church should be doing, what the church is, our discussions need to be centered around the scripture, the word of God and Christ. And the truth is what is going to unify us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, beginning in verse 9, and it reads, For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Brethren, Christ is the foundation. That's what we are building on. And we need to make sure that the foundation is our focus, that Christ is our focus. And let's be careful, brethren, whenever we talk about things that are not a part of the word, that are not a part of Christ, that are not a part of the foundation. Because, brethren, it doesn't matter how great someone is, how many people they have baptized, to give an example, or what they have done, no one's word, no one person's word or beliefs are above the word of God. And when it comes to the church, we need to make sure that God's word, that Christ is the foundation. And we aren't building off of what someone else says or thinks. And now, yes, brethren, there are specific things that we can have disagreements on or over in the church or in the congregation that may not be mentioned in the scripture. Uh, like how many songs we were supposed to have the order or time of the day in the service, and all sorts of stuff. But the scripture even provides an answer for these things, brethren. And the head, Christ, the word of God, gives his decree for these things. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, and it reads, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account. For they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. And who are these that rule over us in the church? Who is, what is Hebrews speaking of? First Timothy 
chapter 5, verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, and it reads, Let the elders that rule be counted wor- well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So, brethren, when it comes to things that the Scripture does not have specifically in it, the elders are the ones given authority by and through Christ to make sure that things are done according to God's word. And they are going to be the ones who make or set in order steps to make sure that the congregation follows the word of God. Now, this means two things, brethren. First, it means that the elders of the congregation need to make sure that the word of God is being done in the congregation. And they are the ones that are going to have to give an answer for all of their decisions. It's not about what I think. It's about what the word of God says And the elders are here to help guide us to do that word. For example, they are here to guide us in ministering to one another and others and to spread the word of God, to help us to do those things, to help oversee us. And second, brethren, it means that I, as a member of the church, need to recognize the authority that the elders have through Christ, that they are men that were chosen for a reason, and what they decide through God's word and for the congregation needs to be followed. And now, of course, the focus is always on the Word of God, and the head is Christ. So the Word of God is always going to be taken over the words of an elder, but that should never be a problem because the elders really, if they're doing what they're supposed to, their words, what they decide, should be based on the foundation, which is Christ, what we find in the Word of God, what we find in the truth. And basically, what I want to say is this, brethren— Do we play he says, she says when it comes to what the elders decide for the congregation? If we can't find any scriptural issues with what the elders decide, do we accept it? Do we accept the elders' decision? Do we accept their rule? Or do we say, yeah, that's great, that's a good idea, but, and then go off somewhere else. And you can put anything after that but. But brethren, are we striving for unity? and submitting to the word of God, to the truth, to Christ, and to the men who have authority working with that word? Or do we talk about things just about how we think that things should be? Brethren, we're commanded to submit ourselves. And sometimes that means that things aren't going to be the way that, they, that we want it. And, you know, if we believe that something is bad, that something's a bad decision, but it's not found in the scripture, we're not going to be the ones that answer for that. That's something that the leadership is going to have to answer for, that they must give an account for. But we are commanded to submit, and the elders are commanded to give an account and to base their decisions on the word of God. Now, brethren, shifting focus, when we do feel that we've been wronged, to follow what we were just talking about, if we feel that an elder or a brother has wronged us, then we need to talk about it. We need to go to that person, Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 through 17 Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 through 17 beginning in verse 15 and it reads moreover or moreover if thy brother shall trespass against thee go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone if he shall hear thee thou hast gained thy brother but if he will not hear thee then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. 
if we're going to strive for unity in the church, if we're going to be unified by Christ, if we are unified by Christ, if we're baptized into him, then we need to be willing to go to our brothers and sisters when they do something wrong against us and talk about it with them. And of course, brethren, there's a whole lesson that could be had about how to go about doing that and studying this scripture, this portion of scripture, and what that would look like. But the point I would like to highlight is this, brethren, we need to strive for unity and strive to resolve conflicts with each other to gain back our brothers and sisters. That's the focus of this scripture, brethren. Many times people will use this scripture to try and justify, uh, you know, pushing people out of the church, pushing people out of the body. But that's mentioned at the end, brethren. What it says before that is, hey, you need to go and you need to talk with this person, you and him alone or her alone. And if he's going to hear thee, then you've gained your brother. And if he doesn't hear you, then get two or three and then go to your brother. And if that doesn't work, then you tell the church. And if he doesn't hear the church, then we would take the steps after that. But the goal, brethren, is unity, to make peace, to be peacemakers. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, and it reads, Put on therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And brethren, I'm going to admit that this is a hard thing to do for me, to forbear one another, forgiving one another, if any man has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. But you know what I can look to, brethren? I can look to the head, the head of this body. I can look to Christ. Brethren, he forgave me. He died for me. He died for me and you. And he left me an example. He left us an example. He is the head of the church, and we should be long-suffering with each other and forgive each other because that's what our head did. That is what Christ did for us. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning of verse 1, and it reads, Be ye therefore followers of God, as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. The love that Christ showed us, that's a great love. And we need to walk in that love. And brethren, when we are focused on Christ, on the word of God, when we're focused on the truth, we're going to be unified. Looking back again to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, beginning in verse 4, and it reads, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, 
one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Brethren, there is one body, there's one spirit, there's one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And brethren, when we recognize this, when we walk after the truth, when we walk in love after the truth and we set aside ourselves and we listen to the word of God, we're going to have unity. We can make peace through Christ, our head, our Savior. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, and it reads, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And brethren, when we're unified, when we're unified as the body of Christ, the church, we will increase in the church. And a lot of great things can and will happen to us and around us. We're going to be built up. We're going to be edified. We'll be refreshed. We will be strengthened. We will be sure in Christ. Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3, beginning in verse 1, and it reads, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. So brethren, this evening, I would like to encourage us to strive for unity. Let's strive for unity in the body, brethren. Let's love one another as Christ loved us. Let's forgive as Christ forgave. And let's submit ourselves to Christ as the head and the elders who work through and with his word. And tonight we have not discussed fully the plan of salvation, but if you desire to be baptized or if you desire the prayers of the congregation, we ask that you come. Have a seat on the front pew as we stand and sing the song that has been selected. <laughs>